Last week we started the last chapter of 1 Peter and we talked about the ministry and the ministry of the Old Covenant declaring the law of God and how by our nature that law was corrupted we justified ourselves by it. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that the same gospel that's preached unto us was preached unto them But they did not have it because it was not mixed with faith. The outpouring of the Spirit of God manifesting the day of Pentecost and the faith that we have and the understanding of the Scripture, that ministry was done away with He taketh away the first that He may establish the second. But nonetheless we saw types in that of the ministry today and what we are to do as the ministry. I bring that to review and I bring it to start the new text because Peter is teaching us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit what a minister in the gospel is supposed to do, quite contrary to the law of service. We don't offer sacrifices of animals. We strive to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. You, brethren, and when I say brethren, that's scriptural term. That's not meaning just men because He made them male and female when He created man on the face of the earth. This is entailing every born again child of God that are brethren. But... We, you are a royal priesthood. Understand that. Because God hath enabled you to serve Him and with spirit and in truth and to offer your bodies a living sacrifice. God has worked a work within you. The ministry is here primarily above all other things to feed you on the knowledge of Jesus Christ the Son of God, and He tells us how to do so. And then He said, When the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive the crown of glory that fadeth not away. Those men who were preaching the gospel, as well as every child of God, everyone the Father gave to the Son, when the chief shepherd Christ appears, In His glory you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. We made mention that this is not a crown such as a physical crown because we, although we're kings and priests in this world and that we rule over sin and death in this world because God has worked His work in us, the crown sits upon the head of the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that is Christ. But His glory rests upon us. His glory rests upon us. He's the head of the church. He sits above us, for God hath exalted Him far above all of the things. His glory as it in the bow that Ezekiel saw when the one who appeared like the Son of Man, when He saw Him and the bow like the rainbow around Him. His glory is upon us. His glory. He glorifies us. And then we come to begin this text. 
Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. I read a lot of things that our forefathers wrote and believed. And most of that holds together in unity. Some differ from here to there. But from what I read on this, I would take both as truth and a heart. Now the context to this point has been about the ministry. And I've heard this used this way to justify what we believe and how our ministers are brought up and trained in the gospel. Likewise, you younger. We look at Paul and Timothy and Paul's instruction to Timothy. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. The religions of the world, and by the way, this comes from the tradition of the Pharisees and scribes who would have schools in church. Uh, in this nation, it started also as having what they call Sunday schools, just for a side note, to teach children how to read because we're a very illiterate nation at that time. But the Jews is where this came from. And most religions today, and I say religions, I should say orders of faith, but there's only one church. And many of God's people are carried away from the truth by Satan. But they have seminaries where they will pay someone who sits in the role of a teacher or a professor as in a college, and many of them are in colleges, to where they have seminaries and these men will teach you what those who were before them had handed down. Now, I'm not going to pick on anybody. That's not my intent. My intent is to give you what the Scripture says, but we can go through history. We can go back to the 1830s and see the split of the Baptist church in this republic. There would have been a split in England. And what was heresy was taught there was brought here. Mr. Carey, Mr. Fuller came through. The doctrine of grace was perverted. It was changed glory given to man and not God. And we can certainly look back in the history book and see how this nation, this republic has suffered since then. And that's neither here nor there, but just making a point because it is the way of man to have these religious schools and organizations. This is not scriptural. This is not Bible. This is not how Christ ordained His church. We don't have seminaries because it's not scriptural. We don't have Sunday schools in the sense of meeting before church because that's not scriptural. There's nothing wrong with a Bible study. The minister or a minister needs to teach it. But the point being of how the world has changed things, and this text has often been used to show how we, as a scriptural church, have related minister to minister, 
with a father in the ministry, normally when the church recognizes that a man is called of God to preach the gospel, the church will practice that man. They will give him the liberty to exercise, to study and pray. Normally he will be under a minister he may not be older in years, but he's older in experience. He has been teaching and preaching the gospel to God's children for some time. And this younger brother would come up under him and would learn from what is called his father in the ministry. Teaching them the ways of Scripture that our forefathers, since the apostles and the first century church, and is recorded here and there that we can see and understand, taught them the doctrines of grace. Grace does not include any work of man. Grace is all the love of God, the unmerited love and favor of God upon a people that it pleased Him to choose in the realm of eternity. We had absolutely nothing to do with that. And that is what our ministry is taught by their fathers in the ministry and what they are to teach today. You go back to what many call the Great Commission... Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature that was given to those 11 men who were there because Judas was hanged himself and was not an apostle. Paul became the 12th. But with those 11 men that were there, that was handed down to them to go forth making disciples. They were to teach them the things of God and to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. They were to make disciples. They were to, to preach the gospel to the children of God and by the Spirit of God which gave them life, by the Spirit of God which gave them understanding, the Spirit of God which gave them knowledge. They would take up their cross daily, be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, come into the church and serve the Lord. That's what we preach. That's what we teach. It's all in Christ and we're here to give glory to Christ to the man, Jesus Christ, whom God hath exalted far above all of the things. That's our purpose. That's why we're created. It's not that we could try to get everybody to go to heaven. God set that number. There will not be one added nor one taken away. Period. We're the recipients of the grace of God because it pleased Him to choose to set His love upon us. And we serve Him because He loved us so much. He came in the world and suffered and bled and died for us. That's why we worship God. And through the Gospel, this ministry is preached. Now there's one text of the younger submitting yourselves unto the elder. I didn't have a father in the ministry. Most times a man will be ordained for several years. I mean, practice, set at liberty to preach for several years before he's ordained. When God brought me back to the church on my knees seeking peace, within six months... Within six months, 
I was ordained. That was wrong. That was too, in my mind it was. I had no knowledge of church protocol and the things and the way the church is to behave. I had to come by that and many stumblings and failings and I've failed ever since then and rely wholly on the grace of God. But we learn from a father in the ministry by the Holy Spirit. Now, let's look at another way which I also believe and will accept. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. We're told in the book of Titus the older men are, they, are supposed to be sober. That means sober-minded. We're to be somber. We're to be serious in our conversation, in our walk. The Lord told Moses regarding all the things of God, Thou shalt diligently. Catch that word. Diligently. Oh, how far we've turned away from that. Thou shalt diligently teach these things unto thy sons. And it goes a generation farther. And thy sons' sons. Now this is dealing with the kingdom of God and the world. Everything here is about... We've gone through in chapter 5 about the ministry in the church. Teach these things unto thy son. This is temporally speaking in the world on how we live. I've mentioned this several times going through this discourse of the 1830s and when the doctrine was changed. We have turned so far away from the true doctrine and the true practice of the church and our families. The first thing that suffered, the first thing, was the republic, north and south fighting. The family devastated by the attacks of Satan. Because we've not taught these things diligently unto our sons and our sons' sons. By the grace of God, we're here. I full well believe in my heart and being that anyone who is born of the Spirit of God has the ability to take up His cross and follow the Lord daily. But I also realize that we are in a body of sin as long as we draw breath in this world and were it not for the providence of God and sustaining a remnant of His people in this world who worship Him in spirit and truth, then there would be no true identity of the church today. Teach these things. Be examples. You want to walk with the Lord. You want to learn of the Lord. You want to teach your children. We want to teach our grandchildren. I realize we're all elderly here to a point, but this is where we're at in the Scripture. And we're here to teach the Scripture. Mothers teaching daughters at home, fathers teaching sons at home, the ministry teaching the elect of God within the church. What the minister, by the providence of the Spirit of God, teaches unto the father and the mother, proof text being Scripture, 
were to teach to our children and our grandchildren. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. We answer to each other. The church is the church. Made mention, I believe, last week. The minister does not run the church. Now the minister has authority. He's the overseer. He has authority over scriptural things. And he has authority over the gospel in the church. But let's have an example. If the minister errs and teaches false doctrine, the church has a responsibility to correct him, okay? Or as Paul said, after the first and second admonition, if he refuses, then to reject him. Making a point. We're subject one to another. Paul says we are not to go to law against our brother. If we have a problem with our brother, we're not going to sue our brother. We're to take it to the church. The church has the rule. God knows and full well knew and always has known that we're sinners while we live in this world because of the sin of Adam. And Scripture gives us ways to love each other and to prosper in godliness and prosper in the kingdom of God and prosper in life. If thy brother offends thee, go to thy brother. If he refuses to hear thee, take two or three with you, because under the law in the mouth of two or three witnesses may a matter be established. If he refuses to hear them, then take it to the church. Let the church rule the matter. I remember reading a piece here when my kinfolk Aaron Hartsfield was the pastor when they reconstituted this church. I don't remember the problem, but I remember the two brethren that came up here and spoke to him because the pastor himself, they deemed, was out of order. And the two men that came here plainly told the pastor... You're being controlled by the spirit of Antichrist and bringing disorder. And they talked to him and they all bowed their heads and they all prayed and the matter was resolved. The church having authority over matters because we're sinners. And this is the way God judges in His wisdom. The Bible says, for where two or three are gathered together in My name, I am there present among them. That's not talking about worship. That's talking about judgment. Where two or three are gathered together to judge a matter in the church. He's present there with them. He's with us. We pray. We're also told in another place, oh, this one touches the heart. If thou, brother, has aught against you, if you're coming to the church, now this was speaking to the old Jews because they would bring sacrifices to the church. If thou bringest thy gift to the altar, and thy brother has aught against thee, leave therefore thy gift at the altar. How important is this to God? And make it right with thy brother 
and then return and offer thy gift at the altar. How important is this to God? See that you love one another. A new commandment. It was new to them because they hated each other. You take the religious leadership of the day, and that's where most problems come from. Who else would Satan attack but the leader? Then he's got the whole nation or the whole church, and you ought to be praying for the ministry for that reason alone. I do. But we're to be subject one to another, prefer others before us, and be clothed with humility. We read last week in Matthew 23, and I'm not going to turn over there, and I probably won't quote it verbatim, but it's in 23.23, that I remember, of Matthew. He tells the Jews, you pay tithes of mint and anise and coming, but you have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Judgment, the judgment of God in Christ. Mercy, the mercy of God upon us. And because we are brethren, because God has been merciful to us and the very Son of God died to save us from our sins in the grace and mercy of God, we ought to be merciful to each other. Heard? Brother Powell down in Mississippi say one time, and it, it really touched my heart. If God forgave us, why can we not forgive each other? Bobby Howell, that's exactly what we're supposed to do. Be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility. Let he that is greatest among you be your servant. Oh, the self-righteous Pharisee in his white robe and his Dagon-looking hat upon his head standing on the street corner praying publicly long pretense prayer. That was their justification to the eyes of men. But God looks upon the heart to humble ourselves. He that humble himself, God, who debases himself, God shall exalt for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. God gives grace. We'll get into that in a moment. But He gives more grace. For He giveth more grace. He gives grace in time of need. Okay? Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Now I lean a lot toward this whole context thus far and a little farther, matter of fact all the way through, can be applied to the ministry and also to a child of God. We've established that. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Steve gave us Micah 6.8, for He has showed thee what is good, what is required of thee, but to do justly. To do justly. To judge yourself that others would not have to judge you. To walk 
justly as much as you can with all the fiery darts which are hurled at you from Satan to walk as justly as you can to quote Paul to present your bodies a living sacrifice to do justly the best we can do to God. And to love mercy. To love the mercy of God most certainly so. For God forgave us in the blood of Christ upon the cross of Calvary called the cruel tree. Such a horrendous death for the Savior to suffer. Why could we and how could we not have mercy to our brethren, male or female? How can we not forgive one that Christ laid down His life for? When God hath given them repentance, how in the world can we stand between them and the door of the church? God help our hard hearts. I don't care who they are, what they've done. If God gives repentance, as far as I'm concerned... They've got a right to come in the church. Now they can be judged when they get here. But the church door ought to be open. We ought to be merciful. And that will make some people mad. But I do believe that Scripture and I'm not afraid to say it. Casting all your care upon Him for He careth for you. Boy, does that not ring a bell today. We've got the COVID disease. No matter if you're a conspiracy theorist like me and believe it was created by men in order to control the population of the world. You don't have to believe that. I do because I know the wiles of Satan and the nature of man and how Satan desires to kill God's people. But we've had the COVID. We've had... Russia attacked Ukraine. Everybody's talking about, well, that's going to be another world war. It very well may be. I pray every day, Lord, keep us from war. And only He can. Deliverance is not going to come from a king or an army. Deliverance is going to come from the Son of God who died upon the cross of Calvary, who created all things in the beginning, and will carry us home to heaven in a mortal glory, which shall never end. That's where deliverance will come from. And our hearts are to be repentant and praying for that. Casting all your care upon Him. All of it. For He careth for you. Be sober. There's that solid mindset. Give you an example. Be vigilant. Romans 12, Paul gives a great description of being sober-minded and being vigilant. Let love be without dissimulation. Don't hide your love. Show forth your love. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 tells us about love and he calls it love in action. It's called charity. 
He says, and as great as Paul was as the apostle to the Gentiles of all he suffered and glory being given to God who delivered him time and time and time again until the time came that God would deliver him to the right hand of the majesty on high. And I'm speaking of Christ who's at the right hand of the Father. Until the time he took him home to glory and spirit, Paul, this great man, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, love in action, I'm become as sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. Makes a noise, but it's empty. If there's no love, if there's no love manifested, if that love is not acted on, then it's nothing. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Again, the words of the Lord and you commandment I give unto you that you love one another. Let love be without dissimulation. Here's how we ought to walk. Abhor that which is evil. Okay? Abhor that which is evil. Job, Job was a good man and upright and he eschewed evil. Job hated evil. Paul says, abhor that which is evil. Well, you're supposed to turn the cheek. You turn your cheek to Christian persecution. You do not turn your cheek to evil. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Be sober. Be vigilant. Ever looking around you. Ever watching for something in life to pop up. You did not know was there. Something to appear from Satan that would draw you aside. Maybe a lust of flesh. Maybe maybe something from across the sea that's causing you trouble. A war with this Chinese nation that's carried away in the darkness of the Communist Party. Maybe the sadness, the death, and the sorrow of a death. But to you, child of God, who know Christ, with that sorrow comes a joy that that child of God is with Christ immediately, okay? Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. 37th Psalm. Fret not. The Psalm of David. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Do we not see so many people, many have their own agenda behind it, running around like chickens with their heads cut off? Makes me think of Daniel 12, I think verse 4, men shall run to and fro. Oh, the sky is falling. We've got COVID. We've got Russia. We've got China. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. The Lord has His people in His hand 
and no man shall pluck them out. Okay? Fear not he who can kill the body. That goes all the way to Satan. But fear him who can cast both body and soul in hell, and that is God. And we fear Him reverentially. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Will they prosper? They prosper in worldly things. They prosper in worldly goods. That's all they'll ever have. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. We are to trust in God and strive to do good, to walk as Christ laid us example. Let's go back to Peter and let's pick up. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, your enemy, why is he your enemy? Because he's the adversary of God. That's what Satan means, adversary. You want to learn a little bit about him. And Lucifer means bright and shining. That's how he attacks many children of God, by the bright and shining things of the world. Be sober, be vigilant, be serious-minded, forever thinking about the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and the assurance of salvation in Him that every single one He gave to the Son who the Son died for shall stand in heaven in immortal glory forever and ever and ever in a state of righteous perfection in the image of the very Son of God Himself. And that means holy and separated from the sin and death of this world. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, as a roaring lion. Can you see that today in the affairs of men in the world? Seeking whom he may devour. I've said this many times and I'm going to say it again. Satan cannot take your soul. Satan cannot take your life unless God suffers it. And if he does, there will be glory given to God through it. And if he does, he will carry you through it in the greatest deliverance of all to leave this body in this world and be with Christ. Job is living proof of these things. Satan walketh about of a, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He may devour you in the way of the flesh. He may devour you just as far as God will suffer him to do. That's what he seeks to do. He cannot take you from God. He cannot take you from the hand of God. He wants to cause you misery while you're in this world. He wants to keep you out of the kingdom of God. He wants to destroy the church and full well knows that He cannot. You want to know why He's doing these things? Read Revelation 12. For we see that He was defeated by Christ. 
And he went to make war with the remnant of the seed of the woman who keep the commandments of Jesus Christ. That is the church of the living God in this world. But he knows his days are numbered. He knows he's defeated. He knows the day is coming when he shall be in the lake of fire and never escape it. And he walks about in this world seeking whom he may devour. I want to finish this today, so I'm kind of checking the clock. So we walk soberly and vigilant. We see something, or we read something, or we hear something. And I don't care who eats what. You eat what you want. I'm glad we're not under the law because I love catfish and they couldn't eat them. Peter said every creature of God is good if it's received with thanksgiving. I'm not going off field. I'm going to tie this to it. Because he tells us about the doctrines of devils abstaining from eating meats and forbidding to marry. Everything God made was good. The first thing He gave us to eat was the herb of the field. There's nothing wrong with the vegetable. They're very healthy for you. They come from the ground. Our body was made of the ground. When sin entered the world, we started eating meat. Why? Because the sin cursed the world and death is in the world. But my point is people tell you to not eat meat many times for your health. Many times because they are of those who worship the creature more than the Creator. And I would have sore displeasure upon somebody hurt one of my animals. But I'm not going to place an animal over a person that God created. And many times these people tell you these things and don't care anything about the man God created or God Himself, but care only about the creature. And forbidding to marry. This goes back to the 1830s and the doctrine being changed. A sovereign God creating a family, man, woman, and children coming forth. It's no longer smiled upon in the world forbidding from that and they're called doctrines of devils. Deception. That's one way Satan devours us. We often think of devouring as being conquered by an army. Somebody said years ago, when I was a child, I heard it. This nation would only fall from within. That's how Satan attacks you from within. So we stay vigilant and sober-minded, ever meditating on the gift of the Son of God who lowered Himself in the darkness of this world and died upon the cross of Calvary. That, brethren, that knowledge gives us strength. That knowledge feeds us. That knowledge carries us as we walk through this temporal world that will one day be destroyed. Who resist? Satan. Steadfast. How? In the faith. I just told you that. In the faith. First of all, faith is the fruit of the Spirit, so you must be a born-again child of God to have faith. 
Resist Him. Put on the armor of God. Use the tools that God provides. Faith. Back to being sober and vigilant. I know my Savior can deliver me. Those three Hebrew boys in the fire, we know that our God is able. He may not deliver us, but we know that He's able. And even if we're not delivered in this world, we know that every child of God, when their spirit leaves this body, is with Christ in heaven and immortal glory above until the day of the resurrection of the body. And then both will be there, body, spirit, and soul. The faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It ain't about here. It ain't about this place. This is not our home. This is our sojourning, our passing through. Why do we call death He passed away? Because he or she left this world. They left this sinful body, contaminated sin through our father Adam. They left it. It's across the road in the cemetery. They left it. My grandfather's over there. Died of a heart attack. i got two grandchildren over there. Stillborn. Never suffered sinful actions in this world, but inherited sin they had because they were born of a man and a woman. You'll never convince me they're not with Christ now. For the righteous perisheth, no man let the heart. Merciful men are taken away, none considering that he's taken away from the wrath to come. Those bodies are in that grave, and that spirit is in glory. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions, 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 The wicked, back to 37th Psalm, for evildoers, verse 9, shall be cut off, and those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. That's the kingdom here. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, shall delight themselves in the abundance of the Lord. The wicked plotteth against the just and gnashes upon him with his teeth. This is ongoing. It has been since Satan rebelled and caused Adam to fall. The wicked persecute the righteous. It will be until Christ appears and this world is consumed in the glory of the Almighty God of heaven who is manifest in Christ when He returns in His glory sitting upon the throne of God. Speaking of Satan, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You mean somebody else is going through this? Somebody else has this affliction of body? Where's cancer come from? Sin. 
Where does sickness come from? Sin. Where does death come from? Sin. You want proof a baby's a sinner? Why do babies die? Because they're sinners. Afflictions. Living in this world trying to serve God with a wife and family. Suffering all the things around us, the whole world in chaos, about to be at war, it appears. And let me tell you something. God can change that in the blink of our eye if it please Him to do so. I don't recall the king's name, but I remember in the Old Testament, they were surrounded by 100,000 Ethiopians. He cried to God. He said, Lord, nothing, nothing is hard for Thee. And the Lord delivered them. Don't fret because of evildoers. Don't fret. This world is not going to be here forever. I wish it was today. We'd be with Christ above. But it cannot be the last promised heir of God is born of the Spirit of God and then shall He deliver up the kingdom. The same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren whom God loves, whom Christ saved, whom Satan hates who strive to walk in godliness, the same afflictions are accomplished by Satan in your brethren that are in the world. Take note. In the world. Those that God has called home have no more affliction. No more sorrow, no more persecution, no more sin, no more death. They are with Christ where none of those evil things which are the result of sin can exist because He's there in His glory and He is the express image of the person of God and the brightness of His glory. Sin cannot exist there. There's a bliss there we cannot know till we get there as long as we live in this body of flesh. It is unlawful for us to know the things that stand in glory. We have a little glimpse of it in Scripture. We know that Christ is there and we shall see Him as He is and we know that we shall be satisfied. I tell you, I can, I can, I can long for the joy of standing before Him and falling upon our face and crying out with our bliss in our heart at the glory of the Son of God. Hallelujah. Nothing else is going to matter. Nothing else is going to matter. We'll see it. Everything else is just, as they used to say, icing on the cake. And resist steadfast in faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, I don't have time to do this, but I'm going to try it. But the God of all grace, the grace of creation, whereas in God's omniscience knew that sin would enter the world, the grace, the election of grace, those that it pleased God to choose to set His love upon, the grace of of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God upon the cross of Calvary to a people that God chose. 
unworthy at enmity with God, not knowing God, far from God, unable to come to God, morally bankrupt, yet Christ, by the grace of God, died to save us from our sins and by grace was raised up for our justification. Grace to come and worship God. Grace to hear the Gospel. Grace to the man who preaches it. If he does, it comes from God. Grace to the uh, uh, congregation, to the deacons and, and, and the mamas and the daddies. And grace to those elders that we're to subject ourselves unto. And I'm speaking of the old people in the church that have stood the test of time and stood as pillars. I keep mentioning the widow that sits on the back row because that's the one most people would look down upon. She's got no worth. That's society today. They've got no worth. They're old. Lock them away. Let me tell you, that's the one God loves and that's the one God exalts and that's the one that we cherish so much. And that's by grace. Grace to travel, grace to have food to eat, grace in the providence of God, everything good, every good gift, all, every perfect gift, the God of all grace, who hath called us, it's an irresistible call, this is the call from death to life, unto His, <laughs> His, who does it belong to? His eternal Never beginning, never ending, always been glory, the Son of God, by Christ Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to say this real quickly. I'm not going to spend much time on it, but some people seem to think the Lord came into the world out of desperation because man had sinned and was doomed to hell and He wanted to save what He could. That's the most foolish gibberish I've ever heard of. This covenant was made in eternity. Christ's passion was to come to this world to die and save His people from their sins. He's called us into that glory. After that ye have suffered a while, we suffer all through life. Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Time out for a second. After that you had suffered a while, the entirety of the time that a child of God lives in this body of flesh and then this sin-cursed earth, he or she is going to suffer. The while that we suffer is just a little brief moment of our life. Well, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. Saw one the other day. woman somewhere was like 130-something years old. That is not a blink of the eye in eternity. Okay? We suffer a while. It's brief. All the sufferings in this world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us, but it's only for a little while. We're not in this world long. Make you perfect. We'll be perfect when we stand in glory. Not until. Establish. Strengthen. And settle you. We will have all of that in glory, and I'm out of time, so I'm about to move. But let me say this while we walk through this world, Peter is talking to a congregation, 
And he began telling them they were elect of God. They were elect to be made holy. He's told us how we are to live in this world and how we are to suffer and how God is going to deliver us. And while we seek God and while we pray God to God and while we suffer affliction in this world, the sweet moments. What Solomon say? I saw my lover through the lattice just a moment and he was gone. Those brief moments. When God makes us perfect in our heart for just a moment, establishes us in the faith of Christ, and strengthens us in the knowledge of Christ, and settles us when we live in this world. To Him, the Son of God, be glory and dominion forever and ever. And I don't have to go through telling you where the dominion is over again. It's over everything created. By Silvanus, that is Silas, a faithful brother unto you, this epistle he's talking about, as I suppose, I've written briefly, just a little bit, exhorting you with the fact of the providence of God and the grace of God, the choice of God, the elect of God, what we're going to suffer in this world, this kingdom that God has given us in the church. And testifying, preaching the gospel, that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. The true grace of God. Touching very briefly... It's all in Christ. Nothing, no one else. All things created are sinful. And the only thing which would not be in the lake of fire or destroyed are the things that God elected to save. It is all in Christ. Not money, not works, not choice. It's all in Christ. True grace. This is where ye stand. And then he says, the church is at Babylon, elected together. Catch that word, elected, chosen together. Do something with that Armenian. Elected together with you. When was that? Eternity. Salute us you. A greeting of respect to the brethren of the church. And so does Marcus, my son. That's Mark. Greet ye one another. <laughs> with a kiss of charity. Listen. A kiss of charity. Greet each other. Manifesting in our work, in our walk, in our action. Yes, I said work because we've got a work to do. God help us. We rest in the finished work of Christ, but we have a work. Peace be with you. And all that are in Christ Jesus, every elect child of God, and then he says, Amen.